0: One way to make more money with your store is to increase your average order value. The sales motivator from Bold might just be the one app that every store should have to increase AOV. The only requirement is that you have special offers. I'm sure you do, but are you doing a good job of motivating your customers to use those special offers? So let's say you offer free shipping at 50 bucks, or you're fancy and offer a free gift at $100. The Sales Motivator is the one app that tells your customers exactly how much more they need to spend to get to that offer. And it does it every time they add something to their cart. So imagine this. customer adds something to their cart and a message appears saying, you're only $19 away from free shipping. Then they add something else and it says, you're only 4 bucks away from free shipping. So we tried it. It works we saw a 30% increase in average order size just from this app. And it gets better. Bold Sales Motivator automatically adds those free gifts to the cart when they hit the goal, and it lets you schedule messages to start and stop for your holiday promotions. And the most important one of all, it adds geolocation. So it'll only show certain messages to specific countries. So let's say you only offer free shipping in the United States, right? You wouldn't want that free shipping message to show in countries where you don't offer it. Bold Sales Motivator lets you do that. The folks at Bold are smart cookies and they have thought of everything. So try it free for 60 days by signing up at ethercycle.com bold. That's ethercycle.com bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes. And their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, recording from beautiful, scenic, really cold, somewhat gray, Skokie, Illinois, and I, I'm i feeling it. I just got back from Long Beach, California, where I was lucky enough to visit two client offices, Jay Leno's Garage, oh my gosh, met the man himself, coolest experience, and then Hoonigan, where I, uh, it is control chaos. It is as wild as you think if you're familiar with that brand. And now today, it continues the the absolute luck I've been having we get to speak with one of my favorite internet personalities and authors, Paul Jarvis. And he, he's got a book coming out as a topic near and dear to my heart that I bet if you've been in business for a little while, you can relate to it. And tell me this, if this has happened to you. In the, in the email list, the comment, whatever, let me know if this has happened to you or if it's just me. I go to conferences, uh, often like Shopify conferences, business conferences, love conferences. But one of the common questions I get is like, hey, uh, how, how many? it's like an icebreaker question. How many people do you have working for it? And I say, Oh, we're you know, team of nine, we're all remote, which is true. Um and they're like, Oh, you should I thought you were bigger, you should be thirty people. I don't it's always the number that comes out is always thirty people. And I don't <laughs> Yeah, isn't that weird? I don't understand this at all. Like, why is this that there's this inherent idea that your business is, is failing or flailing if you're not just constantly adding salaries. I don't get it. And at the same time, some of the most successful people I know have very small teams, so we'll define small as less than 10, or are solo and are still doing seven figures. And that, that's incredible. And so it's driven me nuts that there's that idea out there. Um, and Mr. Jarvis has a book coming out on that topic called Company of One, Why Staying Small is the Next Big Thing for Business. And as you're planning the rest of your year, I think this is a good topic to start the year with, is really in defense of, of an intentionally small business. and. Mr. Jarvis is quite successful himself. He's worked with professional athletes like Steve Nash and Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, and corporate big boys like Microsoft, Mercedes-Benz, and entrepreneurs with online empires like Daniel Laporte, Marie Forleo, and currently he is teaching popular online courses, hosts several podcasts, and develops small but mighty software solutions. Though the My favorite thing he does is his weekly newsletter, which I'll put it in the show notes, sign up for it. It is a treat. It comes out every Sunday, ton of fun. Great read every Sunday morning for me. Paul, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. You have no idea how pleased I am to be mentioned in the same sentence as like, yeah, Hoonigan, Jay Leno, Paul Jarvis. Yeah, <laughs> <like>. yes. <laughs> 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 yeah, you're,
0: you have been. I have been following your stuff for forever when I was, you know— Seven years ago, I want to make it like 30 grand a year and thinking like, wow, I've got my own business and I actually make money at it <laughs> um, to now. And even like now it, your stuff is even more relevant to me uh, because I have the experience to really to to digest it and and appreciate where you're coming from. Um, and plus, plus, we're both car guys. That, that helps. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> so you've got this book out. It's called Company of One. And tell me why. The, the subheading is why staying small is the next big thing in business. What prompted you to write this book?
1: Well, kind of the same thing. Like, so one, I don't go to conferences, but I have had the same conversations with people where they're like, Paul, you're successful. Like, Why don't you have more people? It's never been 30 people. It's so interesting that people say that you need to be a 30-person business. I don't know where that comes from. But it's just th- this idea that the byproduct of business success is growth. and i I just kind of felt like this doesn't seem this doesn't seem true. At, at least it doesn't seem true to me. And for the longest time, I felt like, well, I'm the weirdo in business who doesn't want to grow my business but wants it to continue to be profitable, successful, do well, and all of that. And I was like, I'm just the I'm just the odd man out because I'm pretty much always the odd duck in every situation. So I'm kind of used to that. But, I wrote an article, actually, for my mailing list that was called I Don't Care About Growth. And I I talked about um, what would then become the thesis for the book about how I I don't think that the byproduct of business success is growth. I think it's freedom to make decisions, which is, I think, why we all get into business in the first place, if I'm being honest. And I was floored by the response. I felt like, I'm just going to share this. People are going to be like, yeah, that's that's just something that Paul does. He's weird. Cool. But instead, it was just like, response after response after response like hundreds and hundreds of responses of people being like i actually feel the same way like i i I know i need to grow my business to enough like it needs to be profitable because it's a business and not a hobby it needs to be sustainable but past a certain size growth doesn't make sense and i was like Hmm. and it's the worst pun ever, but this movement of people not wanting to grow their business seems like it's growing. And it seems like more and more people are are talking about it. And, and even in, because I wrote the traditional publishing is a very long <laughs> and drawn-out process. So I've been working on the book for a couple years. But in those few years, even in the year and a half after writing the book, I've just noticed more and more people are talking about it. There's, there's other books that have come out on the same subject. There's other people kind of talking about... um business in the same way, and I'm just like, this is this is really appealing to me. And I think this is really appealing to me because I don't think success is a single track. I think success is a deeply personal thing where we get to define what that is, especially if we work for ourselves. And if we end up chasing somebody else's version of success, we're, two things are going to happen. We're either going to achieve that and we're going to have to hope that our version of success matches theirs and that, then we're therefore happy, Or we fail at matching somebody else's version of success, which may not even be a great comparison because it may not have even been something we wanted in the first place. But then we feel bad because we failed at it. So I'm just like, what if success is personal? What if we get to define what makes sense and what doesn't in our business and how we want it? If it's our business, god damn it, (laughs) then we should be able to make um, decisions around it, and we should be able to decide like what's best for us, what's best for our customers, what's be- best for the longevity uh, of how things go. And maybe it isn't thirty people. Maybe it's nine. Maybe it's five. Maybe it's fifty. Like it's just so such a deeply personal thing that I'm like, we need to we need to explore this idea more. We need to talk about it more. We need to get this into the the conversation around entrepreneurialism more.
0: Yes, and the thing that that has driven me nuts is that. The label lifestyle business gets used as a derogatory way to diminish someone's accomplishments.
1: Yep, it is. It's funny. I was talking to Jason Freed about this because I interview him in the book, and he's like, "Dude, everything's a lifestyle business." Yeah, <laughs> it's just whatever you do for work, it gives you a certain lifestyle. He's right.
0: Like what? Yeah, I don't. It, yeah, it's such a strange connotation, but yeah, that that. Um, that lifestyle business is, is negative. It's like, oh, if you're not building it to sell it in the next twenty four months, you clearly are a dum dum. That was always how I interpreted that.
1: Yeah, and it's like lifestyle business you notes know, is like sipping a mai tai on a beach with a with a laptop and working that that four hour literal week that Tim Ferriss wrote about, which he didn't um, <laughs> in his book. And I just think that like if we start our like it's easier to work for somebody else in in a lot of respects because if we work for ourselves if we start our own business we have to do the work and run the business as well so we have two jobs basically even if there's a team and so if we work for ourselves if we, if we know that we're going to take on this extra work it should be for a reason it should be for a purpose it should be for the fact that we get to decide like i would rather build a business a profitable business around the lifestyle that i want as opposed to building a business and then being left with the life that I'm left with based on the business decisions that I've made. Like, if I want to do if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to let that happen, I might as well just work for a corporation, sit my butt in a chair from nine to five Monday to Friday, possibly more hours than that. <laughs> like, if, it, if I'm going to take on the extra work and responsibility of running the show, I want to make decisions that suit my life. I want to be able to, like, go out for a paddle um, in the middle of the day if it's sunny which it almost never is in on the pacific northwest or like go for a hike or take a month off instead of two weeks off like i want to be able to make the decisions in my business that suit my life and that's like that is literally why i work for myself so i don't want to chase somebody else's dream or vision of what business should look like because i don't want like i don't want the added responsibility i also suck at managing other people (laughs) Like I have a team of I have a team of about four or five people, but they require zero management. And if they did, I wouldn't be like I I would scale back. If they required man, if the if the size of the business I had required managing, I would scale back to the point where I didn't have to manage. I dislike management so much, and I'm so bad at it.
0: So it sounds like like um to what Jason Fried said. Hey, if you own a business, all businesses then are lifestyle businesses because they exist to support your lifestyle. And one of the things I've often told um, uh, other entrepreneurs it, it has become a mantra and something I remind myself of, and I apologize for the the one swear word we'll have in this episode is it's your business. do what the fuck you want and it's just an important reminder to be like, hey there is no there is no rule book you could so long as it is moral and ethical and legal, you do whatever you want in your business because it's yeah. your business and I think that that is an important point that says, "Hey, this is the reason um." It, well, I lost my train of thought there. Um, okay. It sounds like this is largely is a, a philosophical question, a philosophical approach to business. So help me understand um, the, I think the. well, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the issue here, if it's this philosophical view of business is you're either doing, um, you're running your business in an intentional way to support some goal in your life, or you're simply growing blindly for growth's sake.
1: Those are the Mm -hmm. two modes.
0: All right, so then there's the middle option, which is just you're coasting.
1: Yeah, and I think that it's interesting because I I obviously spent a few years looking into this. And I think think there's a few reasons behind the idea that growth is always good or that businesses need to be growing or they're dying, just like sharks need to keep swimming or they die. And I I think what I've kind of found is that One, we all want to be, like, it's just such a deeply, even those businesses, businesses run by humans. And I think wanting to be loved and valued is just such an innate and understandable human trait that we all have. And it feels like the bigger our business is, the more valuable it could seem or the more like if you're at a conference and you're introducing yourself and you're like, well, I have a business of 30 people, with eight offices across four countries. That sounds more valuable than like I sit in my sweatpants in my home office with a couple of the people that I work with who live in their offices or their other homes and they wear sweatpants too. There's always sweatpants for some reason. And so I think that the first point is that it seems like it's better for our social standings or something or like keeping up with the digital business Joneses to just have a bigger and bigger business, which I don't want to run my business for other people. I don't want to make decisions based on what makes me look good to others. That doesn't seem like the best idea. But then the second thing I think is is wholly pragmatic and logical. And, And it's that every business starts and requires growth. Everybody starts at zero and needs to adopt a growth mindset to get to, enough customers, enough profit, enough everything. Like, we all need to grow in the beginning, so we all adopt this mindset that growth is good. Right, yeah,
0: but you're, what? you're all starting, well, I would imagine we're almost all starting at zero, so. Yeah, or, or me, close to. It, I mean, it was really, I've been doing this 10 years, it, the, the first five years, 100% were like, you're just grinding it out, trying to get traction. And then, yep. it may, you know, um, so if you're in like year two and you're like, man, when am I gonna make some money? Uh, my own experience was five years. Um, and then now the other five years, like I could just stop where I'm at now and be completely fine, um, or keep going. And that's where I, you know, I, I think about it, a lot about this now because it it creates this existential crisis, where it's like, all right, what mm-hmm. what's best for what's best for us, um, what's best for the business? And then you have people whispering, and you're like, oh, you should be a team of thirty people. You should merge. It's like, oh my god.
1: <laughs> um,
0: okay, so to let's let's get a little practical here. Help me as an exercise. What what should I be asking myself? What are specific prompts that will help us question our growth so that we're not just growing for growth's sake, so we're not growing blindly?
1: For sure. So I think th- there's three biggies there. Th- th- how much is enough? How will I know when I've reached it? And what will change when I do? And that's kind of the guiding, um, the guiding force through the book is every single chapter in the book kind of flows through those three questions. But then there's also, like, does this growth serve my ego or my social standing only, which is a bad reason to grow? Or does this growth actually help or serve my existing customers? Or is it to their detriment if I grow beyond my my ability to to be valuable to them, which is huge. Um, The other thing, the other probably biggest thing is like, what are the maintenance costs or the what is the obligation debt of saying yes to to more opportunities? And then really it comes down to what we were talking about in the beginning. Like, how would this specific growth that I'm deciding upon right now in my business affect how I want to spend my day and why I started my business in the first place? And for me, it, it a lot of times it comes back to that last point. It's like, if I grew X, how would this affect how I spend my day? Because like I said, I really like the the act of doing the work in my business and it's different for everybody i know some people who are phenomenal managers like they were put on the earth to manage other people it's their jam but for me it's like if i grow to a point where i'm now managing others doing the work that i like to do i'm promoting myself out of the job i want <laughs> which right. which doesn't sound like the, the best idea for me personally and so i think if we use those questions as sort of the the decision making engine And it's funny, like a lot of people write business books and are like, this is the the blueprint for how you do something. Whereas Company of One is more like, here is all these things to think about and there are no answers. I'm just going to help you get to the answers that work for you in the best and most practical and logical way.
0: That sounds like a a blueprint for a bit of introspection to figure out like, what is my ideal goal here? What does my ideal day look like? And I like that question of, hey, what about you know, what about this what about how will this change my day? How will this affect me um and there's a bit of like less than just monetarily but more um how what will this do for my happiness now, mm-hmm. one of the things I learned years ago um and picked up on is asking myself, does this action uh grow my business or or not and that was how I learned to start saying no to a lot of stuff and then i then I started getting better with it where you go, all right, I know what the core goal of the business is it is to um, help, help uh, grow e-commerce companies. Help Shopify merchants. And then I went mm-hmm. further along that, and I said, "All right, what's my why? Why am I doing this?" And I, um, I, I talked through that um, with Dan Cox, um, who's running a, a podcast about that question. Where I ask people, "You know, what's your why?" Um, yeah. And the the my answer became, "I want to help my friends get paid." Right. I want to yeah. help, and by friends, I mean like you know people I like, um, people I meet in the this ecosystem. And so that was one of the other questions like, does this lend itself to that? Does this help me get everybody paid, right? Hold up. We'll hear more after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Simpler, a new way to staff 24 7 sales and customer service on your Shopify store. It works with your existing email and chat tools, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler provides on demand, US based customer service specialists to answer your customers' most common questions. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat with 24-7 Simpler specialists. Find out more at Simpler.ai. That's s-i-m-p-l-r.ai. And now, back to the show. Hit me. I learned um, to start avoiding putting upper limits on myself, the, the upper limit problem I learned about. And so do you think, um, and this is, this is pushing back a little bit intentionally, yeah. um, do you <laughs> think the philosophies of quote-unquote staying small reinforce self-limiting beliefs? Does it hold, if I go through this exercise, could I unintentionally hold myself back? And, like, what's your response to that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question because I think it comes down to um, how we avoid doing things that are scary because I think most things in life can, can be scary and a lot of business decisions can be scary. And I think that if we're wa- if we're if we're wanting to lean away from a business decision simply out of fear, that's a bad reason to do it, because you can you can exist in fear and take action at the same time, and so that's a bad reason. Like just because oh it might seem scary to hire people, like that's a bad reason not to hire people. But if you've looked at your why, if you've looked at how you want to spend your day, if you looked at the uh, uh, the debt of saying yes to an opportunity and, and it makes sense to your business, even though it's scary, then that, then that's a good reason to say no. Right? Like, so I think that it it all comes down to thinking about like, is it like, why am I making this decision to not grow or to stay small or, or to do whatever? And if it's just because you're scared of the unknown, well, everything is unknown pretty, pretty much like so many things are unknown. But if it's, you're saying no to something because it doesn't make sense, like, I don't want to have a physical office because I don't want to leave my house every day. Like, I used to commute three hours a day, like 20 <laughs> years ago when I lived in Toronto. And, like, I don't want to commute. I don't want to have an office. I don't want to pay rent. And so hiring a staff that would need to be at a physical location doesn't make sense to me. If I need to bring on another remote freelancer, one that, I do, like I said, I don't have to manage, if if that's a requirement for something I'm doing, then I'm going to do it. Even though I know I don't want to grow a huge company if the only option is to grow to solve a problem, because I think solving problems in business by adding more is the easiest way to solve any problem in business, is you just add more to the mix and that solves the problem. It doesn't always get to the root cause of why the problem exists in the first place. So I think that it, if the only answer is more to a problem, then it makes sense. I, I would never want to tell somebody to to add pain or stress to their business unnecessarily just for this idea of like staying small is good. Small is defined by you. So, if, st- like, in the book, I talk about uh, Basecamp and Buffer a whole lot, and they're companies of like 50, 60 people. And they're perfect examples of companies of one because they don't grow because growth is their, their metric for defining success. They grow because and only when they absolutely need to and based on actual profits not based on what they think the revenue could be at if they just simply added more to the mix and it's like a a lot it's like a well if we add like 10 more salespeople, then we'll hopefully make enough to cover their salary in three years it's like that's a huge risk like i don't companies doing that are are doing that and, and taking a risk whereas if you grow based on actual profits and you can see like, oh, well, I can pay for this person with the money that I'm already making, or I can pay for this person based on all these customers waiting in the wings who just want to work with us. We just don't have the bandwidth. Then it makes more sense. So I think, I, again, it's just such a deeply personal thing. But yeah, if, you, if you're letting fear guide those decisions to stay small, then that's that's a dumb idea. That's okay. just not smart.
0: Yes. And I, <laughs> um, what I learned uh, a couple of years ago was anxiety really is your your brain trying to maintain the status quo, no matter what your yes. status quo is. So, it, like, your day-to-day routine, your day-to-day life, the moment you try to change that, your brain wants to go back to stasis. It wants to go back <laughs> to the right, what it expects, and that's where that anxiety comes from. And when you can recognize that, is what as long as you're able to recognize that, you can readily... No, if you're saying no to something if your instinct is to say no to something simply because it's new and different and therefore scary and bad or if it's genuinely like you know this is not the right decision so I, yeah yeah that's a that's the thing to watch out for so that you don't um unnecessarily upper limit yourself out of an opportunity now are there it sounds to me like though um especially given that little bit of like uh those 37 signals examples are there situations where those upper limits are a good thing?
1: For sure. I mean, like, e- even look at, like, one of the examples from the book is, is airlines, where a lot of airlines were growing, I think it was the, either the 90s or the 2000s. I don't re- I don't remember every single study from the book. I do actually remember a bunch, though. But there's a, there's a, a, a research firm looked at um, growth in air- airlines, and they found that there was a lot of companies that had airlines that were just trying to expand into every market instantly. And a lot of those airlines don't even exist. I can't remember the names of some of them because they don't even exist anymore. But Southwest decided we're gonna put an upper limit on this just because we want to make sure it works small first. And so they started with like adding one extra airport into their their mix. And then another like four months later, then another four months later. And Southwest still exists. I mean I don't know if they're the best or the worst airline. I I don't live in the States. I've never flown them. But they do still exist as a business, and and they did that. Whereas... Some companies that just – even Starbucks, I think they – and Krispy Kreme is another example. They found that they were doing well with the the few places they had. And there were lineups when that, like, fresh sign was was blinking right. or, or, or lit up. And they're like, okay, we're just going to put Krispy Kreme everywhere. Yeah. It's going to be at all our locations. We're going to triple the locations in all of our areas. We're going to put these donuts in grocery stores and in gas stations And it became the market became so saturated that there was just no way to no way to support it. Yeah. And I mean, in in growing that fast and that rapidly, it just feels like people like these businesses are are just throwing away common sense to just think like, okay, if we're bigger, it'll be better. And if bigger and better were the same word, they would be in the in the thesaurus together (laughs) and they're not like more isn't better. Better is better they they mean different things so i think if we confuse the two then we can run into problems but if we grow in a, a slow and managed and thoughtful manner then then yeah definitely it can make sense
0: i think um and i like that Krispy cream example where they said they knew man we got a tiger by the tail we can really grow this thing it's going to be like dunkin donuts i would would be yeah. my guess is what they were they were thinking and so they were franchise opportunities so it was easy to get the cash in to build the franchises um and everybody had seen those lines and knew the buzz around Krispy Kreme. So lots of lots of smart money said, oh, well, yeah, let's buy a franchise. Let's build some some Krispy Kremes. And they realized too late they had gone too far. And so they they did. They put the upper limit. They said, all right, we knew we built too many. The limit is, is X. I don't know how they came about that decision. And then they started buying the franchises back. I mean, it wasn't that they yeah. just closed down. They actively bought open franchises back from franchisees.
1: Yeah because they they saw that they had they they it was a course correction, which I think was good that they bought the franchises back, but it did there did need to be a course correction that happened there because they' they had pitted franchises against franchises because they existed like three blocks from each other in some cases
0: I'm getting the sense here that your your book your approach the end goal is bigger is not the same as better yes. And so it's it's thinking through it um, to make a the a better business that serves you, that serves the life you want, versus, hey, it's just bigger and bigger and bigger for the sake of a vanity metric.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Because it just doesn't yeah, it it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to 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 chase that. Well, okay, so it it makes sense to chase that if you want to do something like IPO or sell your business or just have a business that exists in a short amount of time. It's easier to sell a bit a business that's bigger for more money so if your if your goal is an exit, then yeah grow exponentially yes. as fast as possible, sell it before things fall apart then that then that's good if you want like I want to have a business like I've had a business for twenty years, I want to have the same business for another twenty years. I want to exist as this business instead of just trying to exit from it so i have to I have to use a different playbook for that because I don't want Like I want to build relationships with my customers that last more than one sale. I want to build a reputation that lasts more than just, um, through, through a growth phase. And so it just depends on like what, what you want. And I don't want to exit from my business. I know a lot of other business owners want to be in it for, for the long haul. And, and so it makes sense to, to not play by this one rule book that like high growth Silicon Valley tech startups kind of play by.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's often, I mean, it, it, it's a, it's driven um, very much by investor money who are seeking
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, an exit. They're seeking a return on their investment, so it totally makes sense. And I think oftentimes we are aping that um, that motivation without really realizing why, and then figuring out after the fact like, well, did this work? Was this a good idea? Um, <laughs> and I, your approach is, hey, be move slower and be intentional. It does not have to be this insane race, um, mm-hmm. but. The, all right. So the inverse of that is, well, the risk is uh, I, I, you either coast or um, you slack. And so you need to be, uh, I think you need to be resilient in your business. Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, and I think that there's a difference between reaching enough and continually optimizing for it because nothing in business is stagnant. So if you stagnate, if you stop adapting and changing, then it's only going to work for a, an amount of time that will come to an end. So I think that even if you've reached enough, even if you found like, okay, growth no longer makes sense for me, I, you, I'm glad you brought up resilience, because I think that resilience is is a very important trait for companies of one. there A guy, what's his name, Dean Becker, um, has studied resilience since the 90s, and he actually found that resilience above education, training, and experience is the factor for long term and ongoing success in business. And resilience isn't even just like an innate trait that we were born with. Thankfully, it's not just like, oh, you're resilient or you're not little baby when you're <laughs> born. So uh, resilience requires three traits. The first trait is accepting reality because we can't control everything. And when we think we can, it leads to problems. Second trait is like like you and I've been talking about, Kurt, the, the, the fact that you need to have a sense of purpose because even if things go wrong or things change, then you still have like a North Star. And I think a purpose, it's funny because like a lot of people think like having a purpose is for like those quote unquote lifestyle businesses or or business hippies. But I think purpose is a wholly pragmatic endeavor to look at because I think purpose becomes the lens through which business decisions are made easily and quickly. So if I have a purpose, I can say yes or no to things much faster Because I know, oh, this doesn't align with my purpose, or this does. So I think it's wholly pragmatic. And then the third thing for resilience is the ability to adapt and change. Because things are always changing. Markets are changing. Customers are changing. Technology is changing. So if things are always changing, then we have to be able to adapt to that as well. And having a smaller business, it's easier to adapt. If you look at a business with like thousands or tens of thousands of employees, it's really hard for them to pivot. Like there's so many, even just like the decision makers required to make a pivot, they're going to need to have like 18 meetings about the idea that maybe they want to pivot in like 37 months. <laughs> like it's just easier to be to be a lot more nimble and to be a lot more resilient if you have less resources that are, are that need to be consumed on, on a daily basis like a large company does.
0: Um, so I wanted there is a great, great testimonial on your sales and the, the landing page for your book company of one um, that i, I want to read cuz it it i think it really illustrates the point um, this is from ben chestnut ceo and founder of mailchimp we may you may be familiar with this one
1: yeah, he's only a billionaire yes
0: <laughs> so i th- i think this this really illustrates like how how important this phil- this this philosophical business view is he says, ever since starting MailChimp 18 years ago, I've always been told that my way was wrong. My way has never been to be big. My way was always to be useful. My company has become a global brand with millions of customers, over 500 million in annual revenue, and almost 1,000 employees united by a single mission to help companies of one and entrepreneurs. Go figure. There's not one right way, only your way, and company of one can help you find your way. So when we say... Um, company of one, this is not an argument for just only be a sole proprietor and that's the only right way, and being big is yeah. bad. It is yeah. very much a, um, uh, it is a methodology for making business decisions. I think this
1: is what I'm getting yeah. out of this. Yeah, it's a it's a mindset or, or, a, or mindset. a mental model to, yeah, to consider, uh, like, uh, a unit of one can grow, it doesn't have, like, it can become two, but it doesn't have to, right? So, like, MailChimp is a great example. Like, they have like in, in all of the traits that i list as what a company of one is they they meet it and they're 500 odd people they only grow when they need to they grow based on profit they're ridicu- like they're ridic- like their profit is half a billion dollars like it's just it's insane how much money they make they've never take VC, they've never taken vc money they to, they're total weirdos about their business, which is why I love, which is why they're so near and dear to my heart, fellow weirdos. And they just, they they make decisions that are best for their customers, their existing customers, and then growth happens because of that. It's not like they're chasing um, acquisition over retention. They're focusing on retention and then acquisition is happening. And that's a, like such a much more organic and, and even cheaper in a lot of ways, way to way to go about work. And it's definitely working like their business, like the 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 average age of uh, of a business from start to finish on the S&P 500 is 15 years. Hmm. They've existed for 18. My business has existed for 20 years. I mean, it's kind of not as profitable as MailChimp, but (laughs) probably a few zeros. But still, it's like and it comes back to the point of like they don't want to exit their business. Like Ben has had the opportunity to sell MailChimp a few times for a, a lot of money. A lot of money, and he's always been like, "This isn't what's right for for the business. This doesn't align with the purpose of why I started Mailchimp in the first place." And I just think that like he's such a unique like Imagine him at conferences and people being like, "Hey, dude, like, why aren't you a thousand? Why aren't you thirty thousand people? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know about this Mailchimp thing. Like, you're not thirty thousand, just like with you and thirty. Right? It's like, only well, you're not thirty thousand employees. Like, I don't I don't know. Maybe you aren't successful." So it's just it's just silly to to think about that at at that scale and at at Mailchimp scale where they're just doing and like they're not beholden to anybody other than themselves and their purpose, which is great. Like they can do fun and wacky things because they're like they don't have to answer to shareholders, they don't have to answer to investors, or they can just make decisions that are best for them and their customers and 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 their employees and their mission.
0: Absolutely, Paul. It's a you have. You have successfully made the case thank you for building a business that is better instead of bigger for the sake of bigger Bigger's not always better is what I, i've taken away from this i am so excited to read this when it comes out uh available january 15th where can we get it
1: it is a traditionally published book so it's basically available everywhere so it'll be on amazon in digital print and audio Um, probably in your local bookstore. If it's not, you can ask them for it because there's distribution. (laughs) So even if it's not in your local bookstore, you can ask them and they will be able to get it for you. uh, No doubt. But yeah, Amazon is the best place or support your local independent bookstores too.
0: I also saw that it will be available in Target where we get our groceries because I like that that 5% off. So believe me, every time I walk past it and see that thing in Target, I will point to it and yell, hey, I know that guy.
1: And take a picture and, and tweet it, because we don't have Target in Canada anymore. They all closed down. Oh, no.
0: I, I will absolutely share on the socials. I will toot a picture of your fine self in it, Target in book form. Um, the available for, available for pre-order right now. Grab it. Get it on Amazon. Um, I will link to it in the show notes. And you've got um, – there's some pre-order bonuses, right?
1: There are. So if you go to of1.co um, and order the book through, or order it and then go to of1.co, there's a bunch of things that, because pre orders help me as an author, just being honest, um, get sales on day one. Every pre order counts as a day one sale. So in lieu and in light of that, I'm giving away a bunch of cool stuff. So if you order one book, you can read the prologue and chapter one right away. Like cool. right now, if you pre-order the book, you can start reading the book right now. As well as if you order five or twenty-five, there's much more things, but it's all on the website.
0: I I pre-ordered it, uh, I think like two months ago. Heck yeah, <laughs> Paul. This has been fantastic and cathartic. Cathartic. Thank you. And uh, aside from the book, where could people go to learn more about you and get your fabulous newsletter?
1: Yeah, if you Google Paul Jarvis on the first couple pages there, my website is pjrvs.com, which you can link to in the show notes because nobody ever remembers the, the URL. And yeah, I send out a newsletter every Sunday, which is lucky because it's called the Sunday Dispatches. And I just send out an article. A lot of what we talked about show up in articles. Like I've been writing about this for years, and it's only just becoming books. So people who have been on my newsletter have already got kind of an, the inside scoop on, on, the, on these ideas. So yeah, pjrbs.com, Sunday dispatches don't exist in many places on the internet other than that, so that's probably the best place to find me.
0: I will link to it in the show notes. Make sure to sign up for it. It is I am on very few newsletters. This is one of my favorites. Paul, thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: One final note before we go. I wanted to remind you about the one Shopify theme my agency has used more than any other It's called Turbo by Out of the Sandbox. And as its name implies, it's built for speed. But that's not why I love it. I love it because it's the most configurable feature-packed theme for Shopify today. Features like predictive search, easy mega menus, infinite scrolling collections, and a ton of page templates. Calling it a theme doesn't do it justice. I think of it as a rapid prototyping tool for Shopify stores. And I've got a special offer for you. You can get it today at a 20% discount. When you use the code podcast 20, you can even try it for up to two weeks. And if you don't love it out of the sandbox, we'll give you a full refund to check it out. Now, go to ethercycle.com slash turbo and use code podcast 20 at checkout. That's ethercycle.com slash turbo. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple podcasts, the unofficial Shopify and wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including some details you might have missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors. Please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, and produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at e-commerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.